Welcome to Rates and Barrels playoff episode number 20. It is late night, Sunday, October 25th. This is a post-game five podcast. There have been a lot of interesting things that have happened since we last spoke. When we set our schedule up initially, we said every weekday after a World Series game or any playoff games, we will have an episode. So we may have missed out on talking about the most exciting game of the postseason so far. I think we could safely say Game 4 of the World Series was even better than Game 5 of the ALDS between the Rays and Yankees a couple rounds back. Seems like the Rays are always involved in high drama, and of course, Randy Arozarena had a, a role central to all of the madness. I want to start just with the, the play that ended Game 4, because... Even though it was just over 24 hours ago, I don't think it's fully sunk in Like what I saw. It took me no fewer than five minutes of watching the replay to completely grasp all of the elements of what happened. And in real time, I was utterly clueless. And it made me really appreciate Joe Buck's call. Joe Buck's call of that play was amazing because he didn't lose the moment at all. He was all over it. And... For me, that's one of the most exciting finishes to a game, regular season, postseason, World Series, that I've ever seen. And that's why you watch. That's why you keep coming back, because you might see something you've never seen in your life. And that's exactly what Game 4 of the World Series was. That's why you don't go home early, like poor Brett Phillips' wife did, because she's like, ah, oh, he's not getting in this game. Heads back to the hotel. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I mean, we're all we're all married here. I would never hear the end of it. Ever. Yeah. It's, it's over now. <laughs> he, she might not hear the end of it. <laughs> Remember that time I won the World Series and you decided to go home because you were cold? Like, never going to hear the end of that. <laughs> I can't leave 90 minutes into Steph's uh, upcoming dissertation defense. You, you cannot I leave. I thought you had it in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed like you were good after the first uh, 90 minutes of questions, so I decided to go home. Yeah, exactly. My uh, eight-year-old watching it said, it seems like a lot of different things happen in baseball. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's true. You can dissect that, yeah. what, a hundred ways, right? Like, what if yeah. What if the, the ball wasn't bobbled? What if, you know... Dude. They, they don't walk a, ro- a Rosarina. Well, here's my question. If, Ros- if Randy Rosarina doesn't fall down... Yes. And, like, do the tumble thing, is he just, like... Easily safe? Well, he's, well, if Will Smith catches the ball, he's easily out. Even, like, no, I'm saying he if think? he doesn't fall down and Will Smith catches the ball. Oh, he, I think he's easily safe, yes. Yeah? Yes. Was the throw timed in a way where that was going to be a close play if, yes, yeah, Smith it, caught it and if a Rosarina didn't fall down? I think, I think that was going to be a close lost play. Like a, almost like a half second on that, like I, maybe yes. a full second. I mean, he's he's down. He fell down. <laughs> no, but no, no, he didn't even fall down though. Because if all three of us fell, we would still be down. He fell and like <laughs> yeah. got back up so athletically. It just reminded you that like they are so far superior to a regular human yeah. being, right? Falls down. I watched that fall like a hundred times. He falls down, like pops back up. It was like borderline somersault. Like you guys, we fall down, we do not get back up. Yeah, we're we're grabbing something. We're grabbing a hammy. You know, uh, I think you're also right to point out Joe Buck's call because um, it could have been easy to uh, flatten the energy at any moment, right? Because he's there and he can see 
the the like the throw coming in, he can see he can almost see Randy better, right? So like there could have been a call where you're like, and the throw comes in and Randy's on the ground. Oh my god, <laughs> where did the ball go? Right. Instead, he kind of kept the energy high, right? So that like you were like still in it. Like I thought he would like the call was important to like because if you kind of just like looked at it without anybody saying anything, you'd be like, oh, Randy is what are you doing? Like, what happened with Randy? And then you have to, like, look at the replay and be like, oh, he fell down. Yeah. <laughs> like, my first time when I saw it, I was like, why is Randy so out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You had to watch, like, all the angles. And then, like, did you guys see somebody splice together all the different broadcast calls? Where you could hear, like, the Rays radio and the Dodgers call, like, the local calls and Joe Bucks and the calls in different languages. I think MLB did it. It was really cool. It's like seven different calls and you listen and you just get chills listening to mm. it from all the different aspects. And the Rays local one was really good because obviously they're thrilled, right? And, and they're they're going with the moment as well as, oh, the game is tied. Oh, Rosarina's in a rundown. No, wait, he scored. Like, you, to me, like that moment, I've, I've probably watched this play like a hundred times. I don't know. What about you guys? Like, I, you, you, I just keep watching it and it just makes me happy. Similar to the Brett Phillips, Randy Rosarina dancing to Michael Jackson. Um, yeah. <laughs> that has resurfaced again, too, that I recommend everyone on this podcast who's listening who doesn't know, watch it. You will be sucked into watching it on repeat for an hour, or at least I was. <laughs> I had a really interesting interaction with this game because, you know, I watched the condensed game first, you know, and I was like, yeah, I, I like I missed the game. Okay, I missed the game. I'll admit it. I missed the game. I missed the game. I shouted from the rooftops. It's like the one of the best games. Don't you watch baseball time. for a living? I know. I know. I. I it's was okay. Camping. I was drinking whiskey and barely knew what was yeah. happening. <laughs> but, but so my interaction with this game was like coming off the grid and being like, "Oh, dude, Maggie, we missed a good game." <laughs> and then I'm like, "Brett Phillips hit a walk off." And so my first reaction was, "Who is Brett Phillips?" <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Brett Phillips got traded to the Rays, I texted a friend with the Rays and said, Why? <laughs> Why do you want Brett Phillips? This guy hit the ball softer than like 80% of baseball. And I'm like, you know, he can't make contact. He doesn't hit the ball hard. Is this all because he's fast and plays defense? And my contact wouldn't necessarily admit it, but I think that's what it was. It was kind of like, you know, great fourth outfielder for them. Guy who could come in defensively, pinch run, you know, third fastest guy on the team all of a sudden. And that's how they've been using him, right? They haven't been using him as like someone they trust as a bat. Anyway, that was my first reaction because I didn't know that I thought Brett Phillips hit a a straight walk-off. You know, I just thought Brett Phillips hit a walk-off, right? I get home. I still don't know. I saw one tweet about crazy play and I was like, I don't know what that means. So then I watched the condensed one and I'm like, yo, there was a lot of scoring in this game. Like this was a crazy game. Like they're, they're just like just battering each other. Right. And then I was like, you know what? That was weird. I, that, I don't I don't I don't know that I know how well that game went just watching the condensed version. So I watched the full one and it had totally different pacing. Dude, in like the fourth inning, it was like two to one. <laughs> it was like gonna be a pitcher's duel you know like you, yeah. had a, you had a thought that like maybe this would end four to two or something like the like the, the the sunday's game you know but instead like it just like it took off 
in the in the late in the late innings and just became this other game. It was nuts. Every it was like it was like watching a um, a boxing match where at the beginning they're jabbing each other, jabbing each other, jabbing each other, and then all of a sudden they're throwing haymakers and they both drop each other and you don't know who's gonna win. But there's someone on the floor all the time. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> yeah. what it was like. It's like all of a sudden, like all this like body shots and and just like knockout punches, and you're like, oh, now they're done. Ooh, now they're done. Ooh, now they're done. You know. Apparently, by overall uh, swings in win percentage added, win probability added, this was the sixth uh, biggest postseason, like the sixth closest, sixth craziest uh, postseason game of all time. Like up there with Mazeroski and, you know, all these like crazy games like this. This was a top 10 game of all time, basically. Well, when you look at the win probability there down to the last strike, you look at that chart and it's like. People were joking around. It looks like the EKG for Dodgers fans, right? Because it's just like the, the, the panic, the panic factor there. But, uh, it was a classic game. I think you, we would all feel differently about this game if we were rooting for the Dodgers, though. If you're a Dodgers yeah. fan, that game had to make you sick. Well, there are three errors, right? Probably really like five errors when you go through some of the decision makings and some of the things that, you know, Jansen backing up the, the mound, things that don't get errors. Um, and then you saw Dave Roberts. Did you guys see that they cut to Dave Roberts immediately and he like slams his mask down? Like he's all <laughs> upset. I love that because you don't ever get to see that because they have a 10 minute cool off period before they get to us. That and Brett Phillips doing the airplane were probably the coolest shots for me anyway. Yeah, and the post is an interview too, like the post game interview where he's just like out of breath and he's like, Oh, dude, I did that. Did you see that? They, they said he needed oxygen. He was like super dehydrated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you yeah. see that? My wife didn't. I mean, not live. <laughs> <laughs> Although, hey, shout out real quick to Walker Bueller. Uh, like he really, he, he had a really nice game in game, whatever that was. Three. <laughs> Three forever ago. ago. It was I mean, two nights really, ago, and it feels like it was two months ago. He was he was dominating that one, and if he gets back in this, um, I mean, he could really be the X factor. I think Kershaw's probably done for the series. I don't know which way we should attack this, but just I just wanted to put Walker Bueller out there as like uh, a potential MVP. This like goes seven, and then like he comes in on short rest and like finishes off like a Bumgarner type situation. I think he could be an MVP. That's a question I want to ask because Kershaw just threw his second good start or great start, good start of um, of the World Series. I would say that the three final, like if the Dodgers win, the MVP right now is either Corey Seager, who has never not been in the postseason in the pros, um, or Clayton Kershaw, or because of things we haven't seen yet, Walker Bueller. Maybe even Justin Turner's got a shot at it, too. He's about one more big hit away from getting it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming it's seven. I mean, I think that, you know, I don't want to get ahead of the rundown, but, like, Blake Snell ahead, uh, you know, versus TBD's, you know, pretty free hard race um, favorite. I think this ends in six, but yeah, we are getting ahead of ourselves. I guess we can recap. Uh, well, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, game five, then. Yeah. yeah, game five, we got another... Strong start from Clayton Kershaw, right? Five and two-thirds, six Ks, uh, of course. Dave Roberts questioned for taking Kershaw out of the game when he did. 85 pitches after, I think, getting the first two outs of that sixth inning on just two pitches. They go to May. They go to Victor Gonzalez. The Rays uh, do something pretty smart. They put G-Man Choi up in the on-deck circle. They go to Victor Gonzalez. 
Kevin Cash counters with Mike Brasso. They get the big advantage there. Two righties in a row. Two righties in a row, and they can't cash it in. And yeah. it, it was, you know, a great maneuver on Kevin Cash's part, but good execution by Victor Gonzalez to get out of there. And he's become a really important piece in this bullpen. And it was Blake Trinan closing it out instead of Kenley Jansen after Jansen's blown save in Game Four. We were back on the the Kenley Jansen roller coaster, which of blown saves like a world series blown save is never good that wasn't epic meltdown kenley jansen throwing 89 and and leaving pitches middle middle he got babbipped quite a bit in that particular outing a big walk from randy rosarena you know like just just battling to keep that to make that one long yeah i mean that's just a just a tough blown save i don't think it's a horrendous one but whether or not we see jansen again in a save spot before the end of the series that is a, a great mystery but you know, all in all, good execution across the board from the Dodgers in in Game Five, and perhaps the most exciting play, uh, maybe of the entire series, the individual most exciting play, trumping what we just saw in Game Four. Manny Margot tried to straight steal home, like that was incredible. I loved it, and he almost he almost pulled it off. It was it was really well timed. Obviously, a bang-bang play at the plate. It wasn't like he was out dead to rights and looked like an idiot for even trying. In the circumstances, the Rays, I think, had, I want to say, who was at the plate at the time? Was Willie Adames, Kevin Kiermaier? Someone at the bottom of the order was hitting at the time. It's important, dude. It's important because it was Kevin Kiermaier. It was a lefty. So you've got Kevin Kiermaier up up against Clayton Kershaw. That's a very low probability outcome. Yeah. You know, with two outs... I, like, I know there was a lot of hating on it because it didn't work out, but it got very close to working out. Who hated on it? I feel like most people were positive. Well, I think from the fans' perspective, you're like, woohoo. I think from the analytics' perspective, some people were like, you know, the the down, like the, the risk there is outweighs, it doesn't outweigh the reward, but it's a fair amount of risk. It's a fair amount of risk. There's not a lot of, you know, straight steals at home that work out. But... And apparently, you know, uh, Kershaw didn't have to step off. I, I, I'm not that great on rules. <laughs> like the the rule book is so long and complicated that and changes. But apparently, Kershaw on plays at home, steals of home, you don't have to step off the rubber. So Kershaw oh. could have thrown home. He could have thrown home directly, but he, I think, he showed a lot of composure even in his like wacky ass delivery because he's got to kind of step off and throw straight home. And it was a good throw. And, uh, but it was very close. I mean, you you saw the replays. I think he was out, but it was only because like a hand touched a hand. I mean, like it was inches. So I don't, I don't hate on Margot's move at all. I thought it, I thought it was exciting and I thought it had a chance of working out. Yeah. I thought it was great and it was close. It wasn't like he was dead to rights and we're like, Oh, what was this guy doing? He, he had a great jump, like you mentioned. Kershaw's delivery al- allows for it. I didn't know that because they spent a long time in the broadcast talking about how big of a deal it was that he, he didn't bulk, off. right? <laughs> um, which turns out didn't matter. But imagine if he was safe and we later learned about that rule. That would have been a big deal, right? That could have potentially been right, a, right. A, a huge, huge factor in that game. I liked it. The, to me, the story of the game was that fourth inning when the Rays don't score. You know? Yeah. And... I mean, yes, they had another chance in the eighth, um, but to me, it was it. Tyler Glass now, who looked so rattled early um, and managed to go those five innings, and the Rays were just kind of like sitting there, and I'm like, all right, they're they're gonna make a move here. Didn't you kind of feel like after 
watching yesterday's game that they were just going to, they were, I weren't convinced they were going to lose that game until that game was over. I kept waiting for them to make a move. And I really thought the fourth inning, all right, here they go here. They're, they're getting to Kershaw a little bit. I thought that was the inning where really it took a lot of like wind out of their sails, at least watching it. I felt like, all right, they might lose this game now. Um, at least to me, from my perspective. Even in that fourth inning, and I agree with you, uh, there was a real uh, situation there. But the, even in that fourth inning, if you look at balls in play, the only ball in play by a ray off of Kershaw in the fourth inning was Joey Wendell's 70-mile-an-hour pop-up like that you know, was never going to be a hit. They, they managed to sort of manufacture yes. runners, right? Yes. They, they got guys on. If you look at the game... Um, like I, I say it this way, only five Rays had hard hits. Then you're like, well, that's more than half the lineup. But there were only four, six hard hits by the entire Rays lineup. And the Dodgers had 14. Yeah. yeah. D- Glass now making it through five is, is I know it'll get lost because they lost the game. Yeah. There's a lot of flame emojis next to his name. <laughs> he let a lot of hard hits up. He got tattooed. I didn't have the box score open as it was happening. But I just looked at Steph. I'm like, he is getting hit really hard yeah. right now. Like, this is not good because, aside from the fact that the command was, you know, typical shaky Tyler Glass now command, it was just like anything the Dodgers put a bat on was smoked. And I'm stunned that he made it through five. Like, ha- yeah. having seen how that start began. I thought he was going to be out after three. I, I thought they were going to be dig- digging deep into this bullpen. And you know, even with an off day on Monday, maybe you worry about some carryover effect if you have to really lean more heavily on some guys than you want to. They don't have to worry about that. They'll be pretty rested going into Game Six. But you know, this is this is going to be probably the last time we see Glass now, barring a Game Seven where he goes one inning, and even that seems like maybe more of an extra inning sort of scenario than something that's going to be part of the script. He has work to do in the off season. I know you've tweeted a lot about this. You know, he needs a third pitch and. I think the question is, what third pitch should Tyler Glass now throw to complement the fastball and the curveball that works so well when he has them locating where he wants them? Actually, I'm agnostic about what it is. I, I, I have an idea of what it needs to be. I think it could be a cutter. It could be a two-seamer. It depends a little bit on like what like his weird finger like he's got that carpal tunnel finger and like you know like he's got he's also like huge six foot eight and like all these levers and like you know long levers and like he's got to figure something out that i think command of a third pitch matters more than the stuff of the third pitch he could have a wicked splitter and just not be able to command it and then it doesn't help him at all i think what he needs you know adam Ottavino talked about i need a cutter when they're when they're sitting on one pitch or the other i need to like if they're not going to swing at something i need to something that will look like the thing they're not going to swing at and end up in the zone that's what glass now needs he needs something i think it probably should be like a cutter it needs to be hard and look like the fastball and when they're sitting on the fastball or like different enough from the fastball so that when they sit on the fastball and they don't swing at it it hits the zone instead of falling on the ground like the curveball, right? So a cutter would be like, oh, that's not a fastball. I'm not going to swing. Called strike. If he could start getting called strikes, that changes everything. He gets the called strike. Oh, now comes, wait, the hammer? Or no, the high fastball, right? So it's like, I think that's what the third pitch would do for him is like something he could throw for strikes. So I almost don't care what it looks like. I'm like, even if it looks kind of crappy, like 
like if you can put it in the zone, it might work. Yeah. And we mentioned Dave Roberts making like f- weird decisions per usual. He got booed in uh, at a neutral site for taking Clayton Kershaw <laughs> out of that game, which <laughs> honestly ended up looking really great because Dustin May looked as good as I've seen him at least, um, maybe ever. Uh, and that ended up working out. But I'm wondering like what you guys were thinking when he initially took him out. Because I was like, oh, this might not go well. Dustin May hasn't been that great. Um, still a really close game at that point in time. So, you know, you know, it, it was funny to me. Like people were like breathlessly reporting that Verducci said that, you know, Kershaw would go 21 batters or whatever, and then went 21 batters and was taken out. And like, I'm like, y'all, that was the plan. That was the number that was, that came from the front office, man. Why do you think Kenny knows that? Like you think like, why does Kenny know that? Because he talked to Dave Roberts before the game. I mean, I don't. I hate to like show you how the sausage is made again, but like this this stuff is written down. This stuff is written down, mm-hmm. and um, I think it points to Roberts not necessarily having a lot of autonomy in his decisions. I think, I think someone wrote down twenty one batters, man. Agreed. I think it was written down, which is again why that fourth inning is so important, though, because if the Rays do score there, I know you said they didn't really hit the ball well. It was only three to two in yeah. in the fourth inning. If they score a run or two there, Dave Roberts is going to panic, take out Clayton Kershaw, and then what do you do? It changes. The, like they, the, the plans probably all have like a, is the game tied? Sure. Are you ahead one or, or, or behind one? Are you ahead a lot or behind a lot? So like if you tie it, you, you go into a different tree, right? You're like, oh, we're in the tie tree now. So like let's now we have to do this. Did you guys ever take those quizzes where they told you like here, you're in this column, then you go here and answer yeah, this question. It's, it's a choose your own adventure. Yeah. Like that's that's like there is a little autonomy for Dave Roberts, but it's a choose your own adventure. They wrote this stuff down. It's like, are you ahead by one? Are you behind by one? <laughs> <laughs> go to page three. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what it's come down to and it would have changed the complexion of the game to tie it because I think you're right. It does slightly alter the timeline for how long Kershaw stays in the game. And maybe there's one more reliever who gets in there before Dustin May. Maybe you've got better matchups against that reliever and everything from there. starts. it's butterfly effect, right? It's just a completely different outcome from that path forward. Uh, but yeah, you, you look back at, at, at game five, there were opportunities for the Rays, but the amount of hard hits again for the Dodgers just, stands out and I know some people were getting fired up about the barrels are overrated montage that the the Dodgers recorded for the for the Fox production team it's a running joke they're not serious they're not anti-barrels they're not anti-advanced every single one of those guys wants to hit a barrel (laughs) yeah it's it's it started I think uh, with Chris Taylor right that's that's the the origin of that is he had some night where I think he was had a couple hits or something and none of them were barrels and they were joking around that barrels are overrated. But that's a team that's trying to barrel up the ball because every oh team's God. trying to barrel up the ball. Yeah. So lighten up a little bit. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's take a look ahead. Game six. The Dodgers have not confirmed this yet at the time of this recording, but we assume that it's going to be Tony Gonsolin taking the ball first for the Dodgers, or at least for the bulk of the innings, even if he's not the actual starter. Maybe they throw an opener in front of him, but I think Gonsolin starting is the most likely outcome at this point. Is that what you guys are, are seeing and hearing as well? I don't know what else, what you would do otherwise. I think you have that yeah. yeah. Also, you have the benefit of the off day tomorrow, so it's actually a great time to do a bullpen game in a must-win scenario. Everyone is now rested. They've had at least one day off. I think the, I think it's set up for the Dodgers. I know the Rays could take the seven. I just feel like erase that wacky, crazy play from Game Four, and the Dodgers have already won the series. They've been the yeah. better team. Yeah, that was I, and like watching that ninth that ninth inning in real time. I had that feeling where I was like, you know, okay, they're going to lose this game. Um, and that changes that changes a lot about how you feel about the series. I had the Dodgers in six, but the one thing I want to say is, like, I do think Snell over Gonsolin is strong enough that I would say Dodgers in seven. That's like, I would change it to Dodgers in seven. You get Bueller coming back, and then you get everybody on the Dodgers staff is basically available, although probably not Kershaw because he wasn't that great in relief in the past, but to get everybody else <laughs> available. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Dodgers in seven. I think, I think the, the Rays might win game six though. And there is a little bit of that. Anything can happen in seven if they, if they get there. So, you know, it was, it was good that the Rays won that game. They needed to win that game. But uh, it's still an uphill uphill road for them. Yeah, and they were, they were clear underdogs in Game Four. We talked a lot about that on our episode at the end of the week. Uh, I'm thinking about the usage Gonsolin for Game Six. It's probably going to be more extensive if he's pitching well than what we saw from him back in Game Two, because Gonsolin only had recorded four outs. He threw 29 pitches before he was removed from Game Two. They went Gonsolin for four outs, Dylan Floro for four. Victor Gonzalez for three, Dustin May for four, Joe Kelly for three, Alex Wood for two. At some point, they were already losing, right? Yeah, they were at a point where... This is the losing bullpen. You go down the B path, but they had had an off day coming up before game three, so they didn't necessarily have to go completely scrub with the pen. Oh, hey, Jeff Passan just put it... Just drop the bomb. Tony Gonsolin. All right, so we have confirmation. Good. So... The reason Gonsolin didn't pitch that deep into Game 2, right, that was last week Wednesday, he pitched in Game 7 of the NLCS that Wednesday. So he had not had full rest. He's on full rest this time around. And yet they don't seem to trust him, though. So it's, I think I think the max for him would be like three innings. I, like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, like four or five, I don't even know. I, I think like three innings. And then Dustin May with a day off. Probably getting one out of May if you go back to him this quickly. Maybe you get two Maybe. if he's really efficient, but I think one is probably as much as you're hoping for. I also think we're looking at this the wrong way, though, because do you guys trust the Dodgers to not make adjustments on Blake Snell, 
who had an uneven performance, I would say, in his last outing, where he looked like he was figured it out, figured it out. Oops, failed to go five. But one thing about Snell that uh, that people forget, I think, is that he's one of a very small fraternity of pitchers that throws a change up twenty percent of the time and has two breaking balls. So there, there, he doesn't have the command. Like if he had the command, we'd be talking about a guy who could and the health a bit. We could be talking about a guy who could be a Hall of Famer eventually because he would have all the pitches, have the command, you know. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't really have the command and he doesn't have the health bit. Um, but he does have a changeup, a curveball, and a slider. So I think he really, when he was doing well in that game, it was he it was a slider. The slider looked great. So the there is the opportunity for if they sit slider or they do something about the slider for him to be like, okay, I'm going to change up and try to do some soft contact. And he's won in the postseason like that also. So I just think that, you know, you're talking about Gonsolin plus May for five innings, and you're talking about Snell for five. I'm taking the Snell, so I'm I'm am putting the Rays ahead. Now the Rays are ahead by one or two runs. They're bringing out the A bullpen. They win by a run or two. That's 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 sort of how I see Game Six happening. I'm just looking back at at Snell's underlying numbers from that Game Two start. He got away from the changeup, which was something that you wanted to see. Only uh, threw I think twelve of those. It was his least used pitch in that start. Gets soft contact with it, doesn't get whiffs with it, but he was getting called strikes and whiffs with everything else. He had a 36% CSW with the four seamer. He was at 44% with the slider. He was at 38% with the curveball. That was outstanding. The underlying numbers, I think, were better than the final line indicated in that game two start. I do like that he's got a couple different ways he can attack hitters and keep them off balance. And I think he was getting squeezed a little bit in game two. There were a couple yes. of really close calls that went against him that had those not gone against him, we might have seen five and two thirds or maybe even six from Snell instead of four and two thirds. That's a good point. There were some people saying he was, that the, the zone was big. And there's a there's a cool account. I, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a cool account that kind of does a report card for these guys. Yeah. And the report card said that the guy got like 95% of out of zone calls right. Uh, but he called too many balls in the zone balls. And then you look at Snell's thing, and there was definitely like four, five, six pitches that were in the zone low that were that were called balls. So uh, that's that's how I saw it. I saw him as getting a little bit squeezed. Um, he doesn't necessarily earn the benefit of the doubt with his command. Right. But I think he was a little bit squeezed. Looking back, it's Ump Scorecards on Twitter. It's a really good account. It it puts out an infographic after each game, and they do great work over there. So I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, All right, so official predictions. Let's let's add a score to it. Game six predictions. Britt, you seem like you're pretty convinced that the Dodgers are going to end it. So what's the score going to be on Tuesday? To be up front, I pick Rays in six. So no matter what, I'm wrong. (laughs) My (laughs) prediction (laughs) is wrong. Um, I, I do think the Dodgers win. I think it's a close game. Um, I think it's probably going to end up being like five to three Dodgers. Uh, I don't think Blake Snell pitches terribly, but I just think he, he doesn't go deep. He's just not a guy who's going to be able to go deep. And I see, I just see the Dodgers making some key adjustments, scoring a couple runs off him, kind of like a game that we saw tonight doing just enough. You know, it wasn't a blowout. It was a tight game doing just enough to win. That's what I see happening. Uh, the Dodgers are so close now. 32-year title drought. 
right? Isn't that what it is? Right about 32 years. They can like taste it. Dave Roberts cannot possibly mess this up. He's got two tries. Uh, I just think they're going to win tomorrow. I, I was, I'll agree with you that they'll win in the next two tries. I, I think that's useful that they have two tries. You know? <laughs> Thanks, you know. Am I useful? <laughs> no, I just mean like, you know, when you have two, te- two tries, you, you, you're going to do it, I think. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But um, I, I just, in this game, I, I think they're going to do that thing that they kind of did before, which is like semi-punt this game. You know, we'll stay in it. We'll see if we can win it. But we're going to really keep every all hands on deck for game seven. I'm at 4-3 Rays for game six. I predicted the Dodgers in six at the beginning of the series. I've been wrong about all the series <laughs> since the beginning of this postseason. So, therefore, I must be wrong about game six, which makes my individual <laughs> prediction for game six valid and accurate. That's my oh, assessment. that's some mental gymnastics. That's ridiculous. No matter what you're right yeah, in that one. That's how I live my entire life. You guys don't understand. I have to play DFS football every week. So I have to go through all these probabilities and correlations and all these crazy scenarios and try and map out my life in a way where if just everything goes the right way, that the 47 energy transfer Rube Goldberg that I'm trying to build my lineups, if that thing hits, I become rich. And if anything goes wrong... I lose everything. That's how I have to live on Sundays. So I have to think like that throughout the week. Wow. Is this podcast nerdy? <laughs> give me give me your MVPs if the Dodgers win. What's your, who's your MVP? Probably Seager. Yeah. He's hitting the crap out of the ball. I mean, Turner's had a good series, like I said a little earlier. And uh, it's kind of surprising. Like Mookie's been a little quiet with the bat, which... Doesn't seem like that's going to hold up for long, right? I mean, he could easily just go off the next two games and find his way into the mix. But I think I'm I'm in lockstep with Britt. I think it's Corey Seager. Yep. 471 average so far in the series. 1,400 OPS. Hitting the snot out of the ball. Looks real comfortable. Has nice hair. What's not to like? <laughs> also, people forget before chaos, that bloop single of his was the winning run. Before the game yeah. for chaos. He was going to be the guy again. He was going to be the hero. Although, yeah, my one little rant about that game that I haven't given is just that um, (laughs) if you think that the end play was lucky for the Rays, which I think you can say it was. I mean, the guy had the ball. Will Smith had the ball. He just sort of did something else with it. Uh, (laughs) I would like to point out that the Corey Seager hit looked lucky to me and who was the guy who hit the ball off of brandon lau's glove oh yeah they had him shifted just right um he got the ball man and then it just went flying off into space was that muncie had to be one of the lefties based on where he was playing but that scored him i think i think that played him two runs i think so like yeah no you're there's two or three runs there that got that there was a little bit of magic for the ball you know ball and play magic for the dodgers so that's how, I mean, that was another part that made the foot game fun was like you couldn't really there was no narrative for the game where you were like, oh, the Dodgers got screwed or like, oh, the Rays got super lucky because you could always counter it with like, oh, yeah, but the Dodgers got a little bit lucky, too. You know, that's fair. Yeah, anyway. that was an awesome play that kind of got lost in the shuffle, that ripped ball that Brandon Loud nearly came up with. I mean, <sighs> that would have been one of the best defensive plays of the series had he been able to pull that in. Uh, I'm excited that the series continues, that we have at least one more game. We possibly get a Game 7, so after Game 6, we will have at least one more episode with the three of us before the return to fantasy baseball prep begins in the very near future. (laughs) But... 
follow along. The work never ends, man. You got to do the work. The work never ends. It never stops. And if you want to read that work, you can do it for just $1 a month, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Get all the stuff that we're putting out. There's a ton of good stuff. Uh, Ken Rosenthal, of course, Jason Stark. Uh, we've got a, the whole staff is just cranking out great content right now. So if you're missing out on that, you listen to us, you're not reading that, you're getting like a fraction of the stuff you could be getting. You want to have the site. On Twitter, he's at Eno Sarah. She is at Brit underscore Drooly. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you after game six. Thanks for listening. 